What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. This is your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It's Friday. These are my favorite conversations to have. I am joined today by David. You know him on Instagram at Mostly90sBasketballCards. This one is just a good old-fashioned collector conversation. We're talking about his collecting, obviously, mostly 90s basketball cards and products he likes, styles of collecting, a lot of different things. If you like what I'm doing over here, follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons. Most importantly, you tell a damn friend that you're enjoying the Stacking Slabs podcast. Without further ado, let's kick into the conversation. All right, everybody. It is another collector conversation. Excited for this one. I'm joined by David at Mostly 90s Basketball Cards on Instagram. Been following his account for some time. We've traded messages every now and again. I figured, you know what? Like this would be a good time to chat, kind of understand his collecting. I think 90s basketball obviously is a wide scope. So we'll cover some of that. Um, and I don't know. Without further ado, let's get into it. David, welcome, man. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, Long time listener. So thrilled to be here talking to you. I, I maybe we got to start because I feel like your your page is certainly influenced by although you are in New York and that is where you reside. I feel like a lot of your collecting um, is influenced by um all things Wisconsin and Wisconsin hoops. So maybe let's like set the stage and get some background on the Wisconsin of it all. And maybe we can talk a little Culver's too and get people hungry. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Cheese curds, frozen custard. Um, <laughs> it's all good there. Um, yeah. I, I am a diehard Wisconsin sports fan, especially uh, Wisconsin basketball, college basketball. Um, I grew up just outside of Madison, and you know my my dad before me was a huge Wisconsin basketball fan, and Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks, all the Wisconsin teams. Um, so I've been in New York for uh, just about ten years now. Um, but yeah, definitely my my upbringing and my my experience is all Wisconsin sports, and I think that only grows stronger once you leave. Um, kind of like hang on to your your sports teams and bring them with you. Um, so I, I grew up just outside of Madison, and I I went to school in Madison at the university, and grew up going to Badger basketball games with my dad, football games, and also a, a Bucks fan and Brewers uh, and Packers as well. But I think like Badger basketball is like my my diehard team where I'm. I'm just like devastated for the weekend because we, you know, lost at Illinois on a Saturday afternoon. I grew up a diehard sports fan and also, you know, collecting cards. I think, you know, looking back, it was like 93 to 97 is probably like my my prime childhood card collecting window. And I just, I was this completely clueless kid, blissfully unaware of the cards that were out there even like pack odds inserts i wasn't wasn't following that stuff i just go to the the card shop with my dad and get like two or three of the cheapest basketball packs you could like literally picking the pack oh this one has 12 cards in it so that's better than the one with eight cards in it like i just want the most cards possible so that i can take them home play with them move them around 
uh, read the backs, study them. And like most people, I kind of faded away from cards. Uh, I think based on evidence in some of my binders, there there may have been a purchase in high school at some point, but I, I don't remember that. And then completely unaware of what's going on in cards for the next two decades until mm-hmm. until 2020. So with the the Badger basketball of it all, when when you think about going to those games with your dad and you think about the teams and the players, like who who's kind of your it doesn't need to be historically, it can be just kind of maybe your lifetime. Like who who's kind of on your Mount Rushmore of Badger basketball? Mm. Uh who who would be some of those uh faces that would fill it? I think I'm I am very lucky in that my lifetime matches up with like the prime years of Wisconsin basketball. Like they were, they were terrible for my dad's entire lifetime up until about 2000, 2002 on, they've been great. That's when Bo Ryan showed up and one of my favorite players, Devin Harris started in Mm -hmm. 2002. Um, So uh, when I was a little kid, 1995 uh, was his last year, Michael Finley. He's definitely had the best pro career of any Badger. Devin Harris, then you've got Frank Kaminsky, won National Player of the Year in 2015, and the all-time leading scorer is Alondo Tucker, so mm. you probably got to have him too. He was uh, late 2000s, actually, when I was in college. Uh, sometimes it's hard with college sports to get teams and players lined up. What was Kaminsky, was Sam Decker and him, was that the same squad? Yeah, yeah, they went to back-to-back Final Fours, 2014-2015. Um, they beat the undefeated Kentucky team in 2015 in the semifinal. And then they, they came up just short. It was I'd like the most heartbreaking game of my sports fandom career. Uh, they were, I think they were up nine in the second half against uh, Jaleel Okafor, Justice Winslow, Tyus Jones, and Duke. That was in Indianapolis. And I was actually, yeah. I was at that game. Um, mm. And yeah. I'm so, I, I, I was, I was certainly not, I had no skin in the game. My wife's mother works at the NCAA. So we were just getting some comped tickets. Um, but I remember just feeling the heartbreak at the time for mm. Badger fans, especially after taking down UK. And then it just seemed like it fell yeah. right out of their fingers. And like, you just, especially with college basketball, I have no idea when we're going to have another chance like that. Like it might not happen. It's so hard to get to that point. Even if you have the best team, getting to the uh, the national final is is tough to do. So, and ironically, as we record this, it's about about to tip off, <laughs> and, and we'll see. I feel like UConn's just been beating the doors off of everyone, so it's hard to see them yeah. not losing. But uh, I guess I'll be pulling a little bit for San Diego State. I have a buddy in town who is a graduate, and he's on this like insane like run of fandom where you go into this march madness with no expectations and all of a sudden you end up in the Mm. national championship yeah that's that's the best low expectations and then winning a championship doesn't get better than that so we're going to get into the 90s basketball cards and i think maybe a good jumping off point would be like uh you so you mentioned michael finley right so uh Mm -hmm. badger player you grew up admiring in the 90s obviously like if you you think everyone who's listening knows who michael finley is and he's probably in 
all of the cool sets has a lot of different parallels. So like maybe like before we get into like specifically deep dive into the 90s stuff that you collect, like how important is that to you? Just like having that like pillar player out of the nineties who you are connected to that is like, maybe like an entry point into, you know, sets and parallels and inserts. Yeah, that, that is critical. I I feel like, that's been my collecting sweet spot to find those players who matter so much to me, but to the mainstream collector, you know, they're kind of like fringe stars, maybe, maybe even like commons to some people where you can collect all the coolest cards, all those parallels and inserts that, that people talk about, but, but not pay the Jordan prices. Mm-hmm. So. Finley is definitely uh, that guy for me, like, you know, starting in 95 and then, you know, some of the Bucks players too are attainable, like Ray Allen and Glenn Robinson. That So they come up, you know, Ray Allen is one year later, Glenn Robinson starts in 94. So having players like that who kind of comprise the core of my PC is huge. I think a lot of us get overwhelmed by thinking about everybody's got nostalgia for nineties basketball. And I think people struggle with where to get in and how to, how to approach it, especially with prices of some of the stuff and not everyone needs to collect Jordan, but I think it's a good gateway. It's just trying to figure out how we shrink, shrink uh, kind of such a massive segment. That's very popular with collectors. Is it the players? Like maybe talk a little bit about your approach to breaking down such a broad category and like how you've, how you've sunk your teeth in. I think. Right. I said I was like this clueless kid collector, but so there's like these base sets that I, I recognize and have so much nostalgia for. And there's parallels of those base sets that I had no idea existed. So it's like, it's like this amazing combination of recognizing the cards and all the players and like having this soft spot for them. But then being able to find this like upgraded version of that, that you can then go collect that like, like literally when I got back into the hobby and started digging into all of these sets, um, you know, there's probably like two, three, four sets per year for like those mid nineties years that really resonated with me that I could go back in my childhood binders and find a whole bunch of and and figure out like I, I had no idea there was a, a gold version of this or a platinum medallion version of this right there's so many headlines that get made for 90s basketball cards pmgs mostly mj and kobe mostly but like if you take a step down in player or a step down from pmg to almost anything else you start finding some some sweet spots i feel like where it's it's not as expensive as advertised if you're not mm-hmm. aiming for those highest levels of the highest sets. Mm-hmm. I want to try to get a visualization in the minds of the listeners. When you think of like one of those base sets that we all can identify with as a kid and they're probably sitting in our closet, what is one that like you would say like there's a base set that gives me nostalgia, but then there's these parallels or of of these cards that are harder to chase. I never had as a kid. And now that's what I'm collecting. Like what's an, what's an example that stands out to you that you, you're currently collecting or have collected. 
there's a few that come to mind. The first one, the most prominent one is 97 Skybox Premium. So I love the base set. It's like this uh, very clean design, just an action shot of the player with this like gradient color background. And they've got full career stats on the back, which I always like. You can flip it over and see the entire arc of their career. But then there's just one parallel, Star Rubies, which is well known. It's probably in the next group of parallels you hear below PMGs. And it's like this amoeba shape-shifting design that like almost plays with the light as you like move the card. So seeing some of my favorite cards, and I, I probably had more base cards from that set than any other, and I had no idea that existed. The chances of me ever pulling one were astronomically small. So like I'm not surprised that I didn't in the you know couple handfuls of packs that I opened, but to see those cards that I love so much and find an awesome parallel of that um, is is pretty pretty cool. Tell everyone what you're holding up. That's a Ray Allen. Um, so that that's you know one of, one of my favorite cards with Reggie it's, Miller it's, gar- with Reggie Miller and the white flow Joe guarding him. Is that right? That's right. So the fact that they picked that picture at the time too, <laughs> like 1997, you didn't really know like. Reggie Miller is obviously at that time, he was the best three-point shooter of the nineties, but you didn't know for sure that Ray Allen was going to go on and be the best three-point shooter of the two thousands. Those were the two guys sitting courtside when Steph Curry broke the record and they took pictures after the game um, all together. Like it's, you know, they're like Mount Rushmore three-point shooters. So like having, you know, my favorite buck and having that like kind of dual meaning of the three-point shooters and it's a set that the base set meant so much to me. And then I like someday found like the star rubies exists. Like this is incredible. I'd like, this is like easily the card I need to go for. It was just, it was so obvious to me at, at that point. Like when I found out that that existed. And that's an incredible card. And uh, what's even crazier about seeing that card. It's funny. It immediately triggered to me. And we were just talking about college basketball, the, kind of kick things off. I, I, the first round of Ray Allen's last year at UConn, he played in Indianapolis in the tournament and he played an Eastern Michigan team, which had Earl Boykins on it. But I remember watching Ray Allen cause I got to go to the games and I remember watching Ray Allen and he probably hit every shot he took, but he was doing it on the floor that Reggie Miller obviously mm. built his career on. So Seeing that card right there, obviously we know, fast forward the tape, we know what has happened with both of those careers, but seeing you hold up that card certainly hit me with a bunch of those memories and nostalgia, and I think that's the fun thing about 90s cards. They're very relatable, they they trigger emotions, and they also look really cool as well. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's an awesome story. I, I also love indianapolis so much and my my dad and i went to like every big 10 tournament from like 2006 to 2019 18 probably so it's like just a great place to watch basketball so i'm I'm, uh, not surprised you've seen a lot of great players come through yeah it's a it's a good host city um i'm i think one of the things i'm curious on is uh i know there are players like finley Bucks players, Ray Allen's that you collect and you probably have safe searches. 
Um, but then there are certain products that you like and you collect where it's probably like you cast a wider, wider net, maybe like talk a little bit about like what primarily drives your activity. Is it the players? Is it the sets? Is it a combination of both? Uh, yeah, it's, of course, it's a little bit of a combination, but I think it's more the sets. And then, then I'll kind of start to look for the players I want. You know, each set I might approach a little bit differently. I have, you know, nostalgia for the cards themselves, but I also just have so much nostalgia for those 90s players and the uniforms, the colors, and like the team logos, right? Just to see like the 90s artwork and the team logos. So I feel like I, you know, probably matured as a sports fan like 2000 on and kind of start focusing on uh, my favorite teams. But like in the 90s, I was just a kid and I just like liked everything, right? It was like NBA inside stuff and sports center highlights and sports illustrated for kids. And it was just like all players were like cool, you know, and I, I kind of enjoy having all of those players in my collection. Mm-hmm. Like when I, when I flip through my box of cards, I like, I don't want it to just be Michael Finley as much as I love him and Ray Allen and Glenn Robinson. Like, I, I really enjoy flipping through and, and seeing all the players from the nineties, you know, everybody from video games I played. So I've really focused more on sets. I feel like I'm a set collector at heart, especially wow. with the nineties stuff. Like I, I kind of try to stay away from player collecting. Cause I, I feel, I feel more drawn to set collecting. I want to get into that, but before I do and ask a question that, has you triggered in your response that's been in my head a little bit. Um, I feel like I'm guilty of this where I'd look and I see all of this activity that drives like the mainstream hobby. And like you've, you know, you run into indie break, you see breaks posted, you see what people are going nuts on. And it's always, you know, the young, exciting players and these identifiable products like prism nt false it's but these guys that people are spending thousands of dollars on really haven't done anything and it's like i'm sitting here and i'm not like necessarily casting judgment but i'm like that seems so silly but then i rewind the tape and while i might not have been spending thousands of dollars when i was a kid my mentality was like the those rookies the younger coming out of college unproven players that we got to play in video games um those were the players like i wanted a champion jersey of jerry stackhouse because i watched him play at north carolina and he was awesome and so i don't know like i'm having this moment where i'm like maybe (laughs) what's happening in front of me right now is just like amplified and if i were growing up during this time it's totally what i was doing i don't know do you ever think about stuff like that I think about that all the time. Uh, like when I, in 2020, right. I just like drop out of the sky back into this hobby. That's been running without me for 20 years and trying to figure everything out and looking at the prices of these new rookies. And, and then you like start thinking about like, why, why are the prices so high? I'm a skeptic. And I just like, I took so much time trying to figure out like, okay, these, these prices are high. And then I go back at some of the nineties players and some of their prices are high too. And it, it doesn't really necessarily match up with achievements that much. 
I think that's the thing I've realized the most is like, we really want this to be, you know, or at least for a while, it seemed like a stock market based on Mm -hmm. you win a championship, it goes up, you get an MVP, it goes up. But like the nostalgia for the nineties players that just achieved nothing as far as like all NBA championships, MVPs, like, like Glenn Robinson, uh, Larry Johnson. Mm. And a lot of these guys are, are also high draft picks, right? Where it's like they had the hype and the fans like right away, they were exciting. Penny Hardaway. I love Chris Weber. Like those guys never won anything, but like they just hold like such a special spot in my heart because they were so cool basically. And that's like kind of what John Zion and some of these younger guys are too. Like I, I mean, I love watching Zion play when he's healthy Um, Mm -hmm. and, and jaws about as exciting as it gets. So like I, I could see them, you know, just based on what they've done so far being collectible. Um, It'll be interesting to see like, you know, 20 years from now, if, the people that were in middle school collecting, if they have the same feelings as us, when we think about players like uh, the big dog or Chris Weber, um, I'd say yeah. it's a thread. I'm sure you could, we can pull on some more <laughs> and go down forever, but I want to get back to your, your, your set collecting. I was looking back on our messages and you, you said something about partial set collecting. So I'd love for you to maybe like talk about, just maybe your philosophy and how you approach set collecting and then maybe explain like what you mean by partial set collecting. Yeah. I'm, I'm working on a partial set right now. Um, 1997 skybox Z force rave. It's numbered to 399. Um, and I think what I like most about collecting, it's like this creative expression. You get to do whatever you want it's totally my PC. Nobody else can tell me what to do. And I get to make all of my own rules. Right. And there's kind of, uh, sometimes you'll see like lists of rules to like help new collectors. And like it really, a lot of them were geared towards investment. Like, you know, don't collect big men, don't collect college uniforms, like all these like little things you got to stay away from because you're just going to be wasting your money. But if you just really like pull it back and collect what resonates to you, like you can make your own rules. You can collect whatever you want. And so like set collecting, there's definitely a lot of people who just want to set collect and that's great and collect the entire set. When I look at like my entire collection as a whole, um, you know, maybe I have a, a few hundred cards that I consider my PC, probably even less than that. And like, what percentage of my PC do I want to be one single set? Maybe not Mm. that whole thing, maybe not half of it, maybe just part of it. So, you know, you can create your own sets. And uh, I mean, I think a lot of us do that without even really realizing it. I kind of consider like collecting a run of Mm -hmm. a player throughout products of multiple years. Like that's a little bit of a set that you've just kind of created yourself. Um, but I like to, to just like dream up, like, what would I like to flip through? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what would be fun to look through? So like the Z force rave set from 97, I think it's like the most nineties looking basketball card there is. So it's got like this, like 
psychedelic background action shot of the player their name and big letters down the side team logo so like all the 90s logos are on there you get the jersey of course and the, the player number so it it reminds me of like flipping through a video game and selecting your team and of course like the most 90s video game ever is nba jam so i just think of like i want two players per team and i want all the teams i want to see all the team logos i want to be able to flip through them and also like have it be a snapshot of who the best players were on each team in that year and like that that just like piles the nostalgia up for me like being able to kind of flip through it like that and it also gives me an excuse to collect and have players in my collection who wouldn't have any other reason to be in there like 90s players who um are are also nostalgic but they're I don't have any real connection to them. Um, I just had a mail day the other day for this set of Detlift Shrimp. So, you know, now I get a, a Detlift Shrimp card in my collection. That's cool. Pa- Pacers or at. Sonics? Sonics. Yeah. Okay. You're the Sonics then. Sorry. <laughs> you know, like looking at Atlanta, it's like Mookie Blaylock and Dikembe Matumbo. And like both of those names are just like so 90s to me. And and I love having their cards in my collection. But in you know, you have to kind of come up with with your own rules unless you're gonna collect an entire set to to bring those guys in. How how deep are you in that set right now? How many cards do you currently have and like when does it end? So my entire list is 60 players. I've got 48, so I'm 80 percent in. Wow. Are all the play are all the cards you have of players that are in NBA Jam? No. So you know, I looked and NBA Jam, like the original version, came out in nineteen ninety-three. So this doesn't line up. I'm okay. I'm I'm totally uh transposing this and and making up my own rules. But I just feel like two players per team is is an NBA jam set. Right. That's that's the terminology I've just made up on my own, one of my made up rules. How are you? So how are you selecting the the players on the teams? Is it just your two favorite? That I think is like kind of been one of the fun parts of the process. So like by creating these boundaries, I have to kind of go through and and pick out the two players per team. It it generally is like the two best, my two favorite. Those things usually align, or like just who I think represents the team the best there's some tough choices i spent like an hour one night looking at the basketball reference page for the 97 98 los angeles clippers and there's no good players bro it's it's yeah poo okay. richardson on there loy vaught uh loy vaught made the cut <laughs> and and rodney rogers right <laughs> i think they very narrow <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I lost a, a Rodney Rogers auction a couple of weeks ago. I'm still a little salty about it. I, uh, it's incredible. Like I'm, we're talking about players that I actually think there might have been a Rodney Rogers reference on this podcast at some point. But Roy Vaughn, like I, th- I don't know why I think I had in my when I was growing up. It was like you want a page in your binder that's like represents every team, and I think I just had like a, a Roy Vaughn page, and like every time I think about him i just or and the clippers they were so bad he's the one player that always just stands out to me so i can see why it would be fun to collect cards of a player like him in a badass set especially 
when it's attached to a project. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's so much cheaper to collect players like that than it is to just keep going after the stars over and over. Um, but it brings me just as much joy to get those cards in the mail. Talk to me a little bit about, you've mentioned it with uh, this project and then with the Ruby's card, just design and how it plays a role in your collecting. Yeah, I think that's like a kind of a prerequisite almost for me to get into a set is I have to like the design. And it's kind of, it kind of goes back to my mindless, clueless collecting as a kid, right? I was everything was a base card. There was no rarity. There was no value. Um, so you just were only picking the cards that looked best to you. Like that was pretty much the only, only thing I was looking at. So, you know, I just, I love having, um, an action shot at a player and, uh, like I really like when they have the team logo on the front. I'm not exactly sure why, but like that, that just like resonates with me. And then just like, you know, the balance of like, probably like graphic design principles that I I don't, I mean, totally realize what's going on, but it just, it feels like a a well-designed and detailed card. I feel like so many of the 90s sets and like the two we talked about are both arena design Mm. um, products. And there's just this attention to detail that i feel like is unmatched and the back of the card especially it's like you'll get a second photo of the player that is not the same one as the one in the front sometimes even a third smaller photo and they'll have you know just this layout of information on the back that is like almost beautiful to me it's like a title and you'll get a a little paragraph about the player and then a highlighted stat compared to like the other people around the league and then they're like career stats below that there's just like so much information there to chew on and and it's i feel like laid out beautifully that's that's kind of my main complaint about panini products um as beautiful as some of them are on the front is that the backs oftentimes just feel like an afterthought you know maybe maybe that's because we're just supposed to get all of our stats on the internet now and not on the backs Mm. of our cards but never thought um, about that yeah, but still, I, you know, let's throw them on there. Why not? What would be just like in terms of your PC? Is there any other consistency with other products or sets that you want to just call out as a reference point? That's something you connect with based on just your overall collection? You know, I, I collect a bunch of kind of random inserts and parallels. Like, like I said, that I just didn't know about as a kid. There's like, one insert that I just love 94 stadium club rising stars. That's like, it's not rare at all, mm. um, but it's got like this glowing shooting star. <laughs> I don't, I don't mean know like the mirror sky in the background. Like it, to me, it's just like this ridiculous, unbelievable looking card. Like, I, and it's, I think it was like one in four packs. It's like a base card almost. Um, um, it looks but, like it should have a serial number on the back. Right. Yeah, yeah, it looks so good. Um, so these, <laughs> like stuff like this, is cheap. It's really cheap, and you know, it's by condition, it gets a little bit rare, but because um, they're paper cards and none of them were were kept well. But you know, there's there's so many cards like that that are beautiful and not rare that I'll kind of like pad my collection with because it's just 
awesome to look through and they're not expensive and uh, you can go get some of the whatever you consider a grail and then kind of add in around it with just some amazing looking cards that are not as expensive because they're not as rare i feel like one of the things i i i pick up on from talking with you just in hearing the way you talk about different things is you're very mindful of like what you collect and what you like might not be like the same for somebody else like it's this general understanding of like i'm going to go out and based on my criteria i'm going to explore what cards i want to spend my money on and put in my collection and i don't really i don't really care what other people are saying and like maybe some people will inspire me but they're not going to necessarily cause me to go like change my direction is, is do i have that is am I tracking on the on the same level as kind of the way you approach the hobby and operate? Yes, yeah. Uh, I I have to actively do that. Like it, it's so easy to to like fall into the trap of just like you know looking at the big whale '90s collectors and the sets that they collect, and just kind of just falling in love with those and losing track of the rest of the stuff. I really try to make sure like. I have like a personal connection with the set, the player. I want to check all the boxes, like if I'm going to be spending money on a card. Um, and and I, I try to play games with myself to try to like remove the value from the card and like what would I really want to own, right? So the, the game is always like, all right, pick your five favorite whatever cards, Michael Finley cards or... 90s cards in general and you get to keep those five cards and nothing else and you get to keep them for the rest of your life and then they're just going to be given away right the value means nothing so like which five cards would you want to own for for the rest of your life you get to enjoy them you get the utility of owning them but the value is just gone Mm. um so like I, I'm always trying to think of cards like that. And then, you know, really I, I feel like we also get so tied to like the market value of cards. And you, you know, you can look at your collection, sort it by value, right? And then you just when you sort it by value, you start thinking, well, there's my favorite cards at the top, right? Yeah. The ones at the bottom, they're you know, they're nice. I I enjoy having them, but like the ones at the top, I really love those. Um, so it's like just so easy to to like the cards that are expensive. And I I think it's hard because it's so prevalent, especially when you're buying and selling. Like you know what they're worth, you have an idea what they're worth at least. But if you can try to like step away from that as much as possible, as often as possible, I feel like you can try to find cards that are more valuable to you than they are to the market. And then that's where you can kind of grow your collection into something that you really cherish. I, that's just such great perspective. Um, I love that and glad I dug into that follow-up. Um, I love that. Uh, maybe we close it out here talking about your three most expensive cards that are going to make you a millionaire one day. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're, you're just like your three, three favorite cards in your collection and maybe a little backstory on like anything you want to share, why you like them, how you got them, anything like that. Okay. So 
I'm, I'm going to show you some non-90s cards after all the 90s stock. How about that? <laughs> all right. So Wisconsin sports fan, Bucks, Badgers. Um, I, I kind of have, right, I, I'm like so based in nostalgia and, and sets, and I just love the cards of the 90s. After that, like, you know, I really, I appreciate these cards of the 2000s, the, the Topps Chrome refractors and the gold refractors and well, there's a lot of Panini cards I like, even though they don't do much with the back. Um, so really the nostalgia drives my 90s. And then it's just like pure fandom after that. So I've got Devin Harris is like a 2000s player PC. And then Giannis is my my mm. present day ultra modern. So Devin Harris, like I, I have a lot of amazing cards and Mavericks and Nets jerseys, but like nothing I cherish more than um, him in a Wisconsin jersey, right? And he looks so young. Much, yeah, there's not as much to pick from. So th those are my two favorites. These are like the two two most rare serial numbered Devin Harris rookie cards in a Wisconsin jersey. So Bowman Chrome Gold Refractor, and then I just love this one he's it's press pass press and pass. it's yeah it's a uh, number to 100 it's uh, um, a proof reflector mm. um, so that the background kind of glows but i also love because you can see he's playing at indiana um at assembly hall wisconsin like prior to devin harris getting there had lost like i think at one point they lost 31 in a row at assembly hall from the late seventies to mid nineties, they were 37 and three against IU before Devin Harris showed up. And he was there at Wisconsin for three years before he went pro and he was four and zero against Indiana. That's nuts. Right? He he was two and zero at assembly hall, never lost to Indiana. And like since the start of Devin Harris and Bo Ryan in 2002, Wisconsin is 30 and seven against IU. So I'm, I'm not my my wife is a Hoosier um and we go to assembly hall and we'll catch a we'll catch a game or every so often and it has ever it seems like over the last decade <laughs> time Wisconsin has played IU it's been ugly yeah it, and it's just like such a flip script from when I was a little kid and when my dad was cheering for them just just losing to Bobby Knight by like 20 points every time right and like that's just like so meaningful to see him playing at assembly hall, knowing like how they turn the program around, especially in that particular mm. matchup. Um, so number two, yeah, I've got, got one for, uh, for you and hedges cards. Oh, That's, there we uh, go. Wow. Giannis Dude. Panini one and one three, not a five. So it's a team color match. That's incredible. Um, yeah. I, you, you know, the set and like, yeah. it just, it's just like, I, I can't describe the refractor pattern. How that's, it the, that's the card I think about when I think about that set that it's that Giannis card because of the shot. Yeah. Yeah. It's like so quintessentially Giannis, right? Like if I want a card of uh Steph Curry, I want him shooting a jump shot. And if I want a card of Giannis, I want him under the hoop dunking. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's, that's what Giannis does. Uh, and that's, that's what I want him doing. So then, uh, number one, you know, I already, I already showed you Ray Allen. So here's the star rubies, Michael Finley. Wow. Dude, that Shout is such him. a, 
Oh, the background of that card. I don't know if I've ever seen that one. That is an amazing card. Yeah. Man. So, yeah, that's just like... When Can I, you tell I, who's I said, guarding him on that? No, I can't see the defender on this one. Yeah, he's, he's like sort of in the background, but I do like to look up the, the original photos used in cards. Maybe I should go try to find that one and see. <laughs> so not, not bad. I love the uh, intention for which those uh, cards are in your collection for. And just, uh, man, I love it. I've had so much fun just getting in the weeds and talking about collecting in your approach. Maybe as we close this out, You've entered, re-entered the hobby at the same time I have um, with, I would say, probably 75% of the listeners. Um, so you're, you've been in it since kind of the COVID takeoff. Maybe what is like one big lesson you'd share with the audience in closing that kind of drives your activity or something that you've benefited from uh, evolving towards? Um, yeah, I, you know, it took me like a year or two to really find these lanes that I really feel um, happy with now and in, in the direction that I'm collecting. Um, so it takes time. You're going to have some, some stops and starts with projects or sets or player collections you think you want to do and then, and then find it, but, um, just make your own rules. And there's, there's like so many different things that go into selecting the card, you know, the set, the player, the rarity, the photo on the card, um the condition and you know not even get into patches and autos and all that stuff which gets even more complicated but just make your own rules and decide what matters to you because there's there's so many people out there like trying to give you rules and and advice and a lot of it is like uh well-meaning advice you know what you need to do, what you need to look for. But if you find something that matters to you that doesn't matter to most collectors, that's just like a lane you can exploit and find value and collect cards that other people aren't collecting. And like, I feel like I've been able to do that, especially with Devin Harris, like nobody wants his cards and they mean so much to me. This card I showed you, um, I bought on ComC for $3 and 50 cents. So, and like, you know, I, ha I have some expensive cards, but like you ask me, what's my top 10, top five, like that, that card pops into my mind. Just make, make your own rules. Don't worry about what other people are doing. It's great to connect with each other and learn from each other. And I definitely draw inspiration from other collectors, but you know, at the end of the day, you get to do whatever you want and you can find value by doing things that other people are. Great feedback. Great advice. Love the story. You can follow him on Instagram at mostly nineties basketball cards. David really enjoyed this conversation. We're going to have to do it again. Yeah. Thank you so much, bro. Always enjoy conversations like that. David is a collector's collector, tons of good stuff, love his cards, love the nostalgia, all of it in between. Go follow his page, mostly 90s basketball cards. Take care of yourself, take care of others around you. We'll be back, more stacking slabs on the other side. Peace.